All right. Well, hey, folks, Jeff Salzman here. Welcome to The Daily Evolver. It is Wednesday, March 10th. I have a special welcome for those of you who are tuning in live with me. It's nice to have you in non-local space, whether Facebook, YouTube, or the Zoom account with Integral Life. And it's nice to know you're there. And if you have any questions in real time, you can put them in the comments section of the Zoom app, or you can email me at jeff at dailyevolver.com. And depending on how it goes, I'll either you know, have time for them or not. So, all right, well, what I want to start with today, I want to eventually <laughs> get into the topic of the week, Megan and Harry. Um, but before, <laughs> I'm going to work my way there, and I'm going to start with a letter I got from uh, a listener, Steve, and it's a, a little bit from the COVID files, uh, but it has a, a really, I think, interesting uh, story here. And he got his first COVID shot and was having some reaction to it, minor, but it was causing a fitful sleep. And in the middle of the night, he said he watched a PBS documentary on John Denver. And, and then I'll read from his letter. This is like 4 a.m. I was somehow transported to the old sun-dappled courtyard of my college days where John was making an appearance, John Denver. A casual between-classes crowd was in attendance, and I just had to go to John and thank him for everything. Since this was since since this was simultaneously the early 70s and the present day, everybody was wearing masks along with long hair and the fading remnants of hippie attire. I strode up to John as if to shake his hand and he halted me with a gesture to respect the whole distancing thing. The whole distancing thing. Then he offered his hand and we shook, mutually acknowledging and relishing the commitment. And I said something like, I'd be proud to have died having contracted the virus from him. <laughs> he goes on, he says, the late 60s, early 70s came back with images of Jacques Cousteau, Buckminster Fuller, Paolo Soleri, John Lilly, all pioneers pushing the ecological envelope, a noble time. Such heroes seem harder to find in 2021. And he signs off, here's to chemically altered perspectives, sore arms, and fevers. And um, I really related to that letter because I have to say that one of the happiest days of my life was where I was sick in bed with a fever for the whole day and just lying there in bed looking at the ceiling in a fever dream. And I was aware of what was going on. My parents were visiting from Pennsylvania, which was kind of nice. They were taking care of me and I would be up and down. And, but I was just in an you know, altered state. My ego boundaries had been dissolved from the fever. And so I get that. <laughs> and to have this beautiful tableau with John Denver on your college campus. And I relate to that too. I have a very vivid memory that I often recall where I am walking away from my freshman dorm, Leroy Hall at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. This is 1973. And 
for the first time I hear on, I don't know whether we had Walkman or what I was listening to, or maybe I just listened to it on my radio stereo, I don't know. But it was Sunshine on My Shoulders by John Denver. Sunshine on my shoulders makes me happy. I remember I had, you know, hair like him. It just, it was, I mean, could the world be any better than a moment like that? Oh, my goodness gracious. So, again, can the world be any better than that? I'm 18, 19 years old, um, you know, walking out of my dorm. The sun is hitting me on my shoulders. That's part of what Steve's talking about with the noble time. I mean, that is the time uh, that we sort of compare the rest of our lives with. Uh, There's a lot of research that we tend to idealize the time where we started having sex, actually. That we like that music, we like that era, the world's never so alive. And we carry that with us as the standard, which makes the fall from paradise story so much more salient. Uh, Because why is it never that good again? And um, so that's where, you know, Steve and I had a little back and forth and we're, you know, we, we worked it all out, but you know, it's not necessarily a nobler time. It's a simpler time for sure. Um, and the world is a simpler place, but um, you know, as Steve points out, there's back in those days, the aesthetic was the peace movement, you know, the, the hippie clothes, the long hair, the environmental movement, all these heroes that he mentioned up there, these noble people. And that's the ball that was moving at that point. So what's noble now? And, you know, what ball is being moved now? And I'd have to say that one of them for sure is this multicultural green um, increased sensitivities to the ghosts of history and people who have been overlooked. And, you know, all of the ghosts of pre-modernity, really, you know, racism, slavery, and it's current day echoes, realities, where wealth and health and power and social outcomes are still correlated with race. And that's not okay anymore. There's a new moral consideration that is arising in the culture and the leading edge that says that that's unacceptable and we have to focus on that in some way. So that brings me to the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Harry and Meghan. And, you know, it's interesting that the culture war that we're in, and we're definitely in one, is a war of not so much cultures as worldviews, as we see in Integral, and not even worldviews so much. That's, that's even a little misleading. It's more than a view. It's a world space. Ken Wilbur used that term a lot, and I always loved it because it's where you live in terms of your psyche and your relationships with people and your relationships with the world at large, first, second, and third person. And they change as we move through these stages and not always in sync. You know, we can be third person, modern, first person, traditional, and, um, you know, welcome to the world of evolution. 
But what is the crux of the culture war, the new thing that is emerging is this sensitivity. You know, it's a power struggle too. But it's, you know, we, we should notice that this is a good thing in, in its essence, as was rationality, you know, as was faith and obedience to God in earlier stages. But the sensitivity is a good thing. It has, you know, an upside and a downside. And that upside and downside is generally immediately apparent even to each of us. I mean, there's an automatic reaction to Megan and Harry. <laughs> and one comes from the right and one comes from, from the left. The right being more the modern traditional side of the, the those stages and the left being the late modern and uh, postmodern green stages. And from the right, from the conservatives, if you will, is this sort of revulsion at this whole thing that these two would be taking on the monarchy, uh, which is a symbol of civilization, Western civilization, and, you know, in many ways. And their job is not to challenge it. It is to suck it up, do your duty. Uh, you're, you don't have it so bad, you know, take responsibility, the thing that galls their livers, and you can see it in Twitter and, and, and these articles from the right, is, you know, Megan, take it upon yourself to learn the national anthem of your new country. You know, ask your husband-to-be. Arrange for tutoring. Something could be arranged. Watch some documentaries. You're 36 years old, for God's sakes. And, you know, I can feel that. That's my first, you know, I'm old school. That's my first response, actually, is like, uh, you know, on Oprah, no less. Hey. And I love Oprah, actually. But, you know, this is, what are they doing here anyway? So that's from the right. From the left is, we see it from their perspective, and we work, you know, that's a practice, you know. So for me, I'm trying to see it from Megan's perspective. And here's the best I can do, is that she has been discounted. Her mother's family is, 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 is African-American, descended to slaves in Georgia. You know, there is a cultural liquidity, karmic liquidity that moves from generation to generation, where that is a, that, that is a burden, you know. And... Uh, and then Jim Crow and redlining and all of it, you know, there is a way in which the color of her skin has made her life harder. And it does, you know, a, a friend of mine was telling me of a situation she had experienced, she had the other day, just casual racism. And I was interested to hear this because I want to hear, you know, what is this? And she has dark skin. And she was standing in a socially distanced line outside a coffee shop. And she was the next in line to go in. And somebody came out from inside and addressed the whole line. And as he was addressing the whole line, he looked through my friend and to the white people behind her. And she was not really part of his, who he was talking to. So there you go. And, you know, I get that. And, or at least, you know, I can practice at getting that. 
and feeling what that does, you know, that othering, that discounting, that not being included. You know, it's like Chris Rock said, racism in America today, at least, and it's, I think it's true in most of the developed world. It's not, you know, go get me a lemonade kind of racism. It's just that you're not invited to join in the reindeer games in the same way. You know, you're not included. And, um, and from an integral perspective, um, th this is um, a failure. It's not a failure, it's just we haven't grown into it. It's, it's growing into an ever bigger circle of second person. That is people who you include inside your circle rather than outside your circle. So when they're inside your circle, you have a, a subject to subject relationship. You have an I-thou relationship. I see you, you know, beyond color, beyond body shape, beyond age, beyond anything, you know. I see you. And that's subject to subject, I-thou. And that's an ever-increasing circle as we evolve. Literally as individuals, you know, it's always, it's mummy first, the daddy, and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger for us individually. This is also true for the culture at large. And so, you know, to the degree that you're seen as the black girl, or in my case, the gay guy, you know, I was always glad I could pass and I could be gay or not be gay because I didn't want to just always be the gay guy. What a burden that would be. And so any of these terms that used to fly around, you know, we make fun of the body shapes and the abilities that people would have and disabilities in ways that are, you know, there's a new revulsion to that. There's a new sensitivity to seeing them beyond that, um, you know, othering dynamic. So that's the project of green, really. And green, to the degree that uh, green emphasizes particularly the people who have been left out in the past, you know, the people who have been marginalized. That's both good and it's bad in this, to the degree that it sees the people in the power stru structures as being others, they're outside. So white people or colonialists or whatever are outside your circle. At Integral, everybody's in the circle. That's, you know, green paves the way, but green uh, Integral finishes it up by basically taking green's great insight and moving it into Integral where there's no limits to it. And hallelujah. So that for Megan, that all of that is a powerful charge that she's carrying, and I'm talking like electrical charge that she's carrying with her, that's karmic. And, and she's, you know, in this public space where she's also, you know, sort of coalescing karmas of other people. And so now she's entering an institution, the British monarchy, that has a history of racism, as do all institutions with a pre-modern history. You know, racism is a feature of traditional societies. It is not a bug. It's built in. It's one of the ways people feel, you know, connected uh, is, uh, you know, fighting somebody else, you know, good versus evil, ultimately. So, you know, in the case of the UK, 
it comes, you know, the royal family and British history comes with uh, enthusiastic colonialism uh, that they still, you know, the Commonwealth is still 57 countries, I guess, something like that. And, you know, the Queen and Prince Philip, they're old school. And Charles appears to be some old school. And, you know, he's a big ecology, gets the ecology piece. You know, he's in, you know, the 70s generation, uh, but not the multicultural piece. And, you know, so might this institution feel naturally confronted by this new member of the royal family? And might she see taking on their history as something she can challenge and move the ball? So is this a new, is this a noble thing? Yes. She wants to be taken seriously and, um, you know, welcome to the mess of it all where everybody has an opinion. Uh, and we can, you know, again, see our own natural reflexive conditioned responses and see them as it's not us. That's uh, moving that into third person. So anyway, one of the things that Megan is highlighting in, in Harry is this mental health issue. And again, from the right, it's automatic. You know, we're defining mental illness down. This is indulgence. These kids just need a kick in the butt. You've heard it all, right? But from the left, and again, two different world spaces, it's suffering. It's human suffering. And I went through a suicidal ideation phase as a teenager and young person, and I don't know how seriously I took it, but you know, I was depressed. I defined myself as depressed. A lot of people did. And a lot of people do, you know. And as I pointed out in my last episode last week, the maladies of mean modernity, um, it's getting worse with young people. And, um, you know, I, I highlighted the essay by this 25-year-old woman who wrote about her generation needs to suffer more. And I got a lot of good mail from you. I might highlight some of that uh, at the end of the show about that. But, you know, we even look at John Denver. You know, sunshine on my shoulders. You know, the guy glowed. We met him like Jesus in our visions. And he suffered with depression and alcoholism. And that led, in part at least, to him crashing his plane into Monterey Bay and dying at a young age. You know, so... Um, you know, post-modernity, for many reasons, is uh, a, not the least being that just the sensitivity. We have the sensitivity to suffering that we didn't have before. And it's not easy being human at any time in history. Uh, and maybe in a, in a way or a certain way, especially now, because we just have a more complex world. It's not a more noble world, but it definitely, it, you know, at least that's debatable but it is clearly a more complex world. And moving through these higher stages, it, it just may be one of the industries of the future that we get counseling. You know, it would have helped me enormously to have counseling as a teenager. But, uh, and now I'm glad there, there's a move in that direction. And I don't see it as, I think it maybe in some cases is indulgent, but you know, what's that even mean? You know, maybe we indulge people suffering. So anyway, um, you know, post-modernity blames 
the suffering on racism, othering, the power dynamics of history that still exist. That's part of it. Good old fashioned racism, all of that is part of it. But it's actually some fun, something fundamental to postmodernity itself, which is a lack of meaning. I mean, postmodernity is uh, actively, aggressively anti-meaning, actually. Um, you know, at least modernity is a little agnostic about it. But um, so that is, you know, that was last week's episode. So you can go listen to that if you want. Anyway, and I wanted to see about, uh, I wanted to, to actually go to the Sussex site, the, um, the Duke and Duchess's website. And so I'm going to share that too, because this clearly is what they're trying to do. And I think it's worth noting. And here they are. And it's all about, there's three things. There's three things they're committed to. One is supporting community, that is connecting with the people and organizations that make the world a better place. Second, serving the monarchy and honoring the reign of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. And I have to just point out here, they talk about it's steeped in tradition and pride, the oldest form of government, the United Kingdom. And there she is, the queen herself, with a beautiful quote that she, I mean, it's ironic. I don't know quite how to read this. Maybe they're going to update the site here, but you would think they would have before Oprah. But this is, listen to what they're saying about uh, Elizabeth. And this is a quote from her. She says, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. So, you know, rampant imperialism there. Then we have uh, supporting the Commonwealth, 53 countries bound together by shared history and tradition, working to promote a future of peace, democracy, and human rights for all. So you can't argue for that. If these two, you know, if they're breaking away and creating their own stream, um, serves community, monarchy, and Commonwealth in an appropriate way and moves the ball forward, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm on board and I'm interested in watching. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Well, being interested in royals is pretty deep. That's pretty built in. For most of human history, we had to be attending to the royals, whether they be the warlords or the literal royals. And so, you know, it's still there. Okay, so let's see. Hang on, folks. I'm going to check. Yeah, um, okay. Somebody just sent me criticizing public figures, including influential journalists is not harassment or abuse. It's a Glenn Greenwald article. And yeah, I, you know, uh, Megan and Harry are symbols. They are public figures. We do get to talk about them. Uh, human beings can't help but talk about each other. And so, you know, that comes with the territory and apparently they know it. Uh, so... Okay, so there was one other thing I wanted to point out. A letter um, from a listener, Harry, who talked about last week's episode about does Generation Z need to suffer more? And so he says, the essay by the Gen Z woman was fascinating. I think what she's trying to articulate is a hunger for ritual initiation. Modernity is stripped away ritual, which is both a gain and a loss. One thing which I expected from postmodernity, but which has yet to emerge clearly, 
is a reclamation of ritual. And that I, I'll pause there and say that's right. Uh, 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 post-modernity, green progressivism, progressive spirituality does bring ritual back. Uh, uh, but it's per performative uh, in the sense that, you know, if you go to a sweat lodge, you don't really believe in the spirits that you're, you know, contacting or you see them as your higher self or whatever. And, and that's not, um, you know, that's not real uh, magenta or red uh, ritual. So, um, you know, we really do want to find that connection to the real dimensions of divinity, you know, and the spirits that are alive and with us. And that's more mysterious post-modernity because modernity, of course, explained it all away with materialism, but it doesn't go away. And it turns out to 250,000 years of human history cannot be wiped away in 100 years. Uh, so, um, yeah, so you know, post-modernity is definitely cracking the egg and moving the ball. But again, I think at Integral, we actually connect these rituals to something that is real. And that's not, that's not to say green doesn't do it too. I mean, it does, but um, go, we just keep going further with this. Okay, so because of the postmodern fragmentation its refutation of meta-narratives and refusal to embrace any unifying myth, the only vestiges of ritual initiation are debased to self-help band-aids to narcissism. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I was <laughs> saying. <laughs> um, no wonder the suicide rate is up. So many people were born into affluence that is the stated goal of modernity and the emptiness of its values are haunting. Yeah, it's true, yeah. So suffering can be a gateway to meaning, but initiation also requires, requires wise elders skilled in creating and holding the ritual container. I fear we have lost this crucial gift. We have indeed. Uh, we were supposed to. We lost it on schedule and we shall regain it on schedule. Um, we will need to rediscover it. Okay. It's telling that we are all fascinated and repelled by the QAnon shaman. Yeah, there you go. The role of those at integral stage, the reemergence of ritual elder who can contain and channel the archetypal energies of all stages and help us to transform the furies in the, into the humanities. And I asked him the humanities, and he wrote back and said, the humanities, uh, the furies torture you and the humanities comfort and, and succor you. And this is Greek myth. So we want that second part. Yeah. Um, Okay, here's another one. Thank you. This is from Martin. And he talks about polarization, breakup of the old media, and sources of authority that we're seeing today, and the inherent loss in, in institutional trust. And all of this is true. He says, the internet and social media have been the tool to disrupt this institutional power and its biggest disruptions is proving to be attacking shared epistemology and trust in any sources of authority. And I would say that, uh, yes, it attacks uh, shared epistemology, sort of. I mean, what I would, what I would say is that um, social media and the media in general these days 
just being that every epistemology has a voice. So it's multi-epistemological. And that's different. Yeah, there's no one, and, and the one who claimed to be it, the rational, um, um, you know, secular world space that claimed to be this voice of authority is the voice of authority for a certain piece of the truth that is really, really important. You know, I mean, making vaccines, for instance, you know, scientific achievement, um, the technology, the modern world, that is all part of it. And, and yet that's not the only thing anymore, you know. So we got to accept the green sensitivity. We've got to accept the blue re-enchanted world, the passion and aggressiveness in a good way of red, the spiritual um, mastery of tribal. And even if we go back to magenta, I'm sorry, or beige, the early stage, the indigenous stage, beige and spiral dynamics, uh, infrared in, in the aqua model. Um, it's awareness without thought, you know, or maybe some thought, but not a whole lot of thought. I mean, it's, it's what we're all going after in meditation and, and contemplative practices, but that's what we came out of. And, you know, to return to that or bring that into a more integrated human is, you know, really something. And at that point, um, you know, authority is distributed. It's not that it flows from some particular place and it's distributed to everybody. Everybody has their own authority. I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but it's going to work because we'll come to trust each other in a way that we can't even imagine now. I mean, we'll just automatically trust each other because we don't have anything to hide anymore. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, I'm I, blue sky in it here a little bit, but the sacred world to come is going to be something like that. And so when we see the institutions of authority being challenged, like the British monarchy and diminished, not always such a bad thing, you know, and there's a new thing arising that is more complex and I think more noble because we're, you know, we've unfolded another stage to goodness, truth, and beauty. And, you know, you can't beat that. All right. Okay, I think that'll do it for today. What fun. Thank you for joining me. You can find all my stuff at dailyevolver.com. You can like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Daily Evolver YouTube channel. Thank you for joining me and us. And thank you, Integral Life, for hosting for, you know, the 10th year. And uh, we'll see you all again next week. <laughs>